chapter 20. Ken has asked me to read from the 20th chapter of the book of Acts this morning, starting in verse 17. And we'll read through the end of the chapter, verse 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I've lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, though I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Thank you, Sam. Let him do all the work. <laughs> Appreciate that very much. Sometimes this is a lesson that maybe if you're a minister and you're giving a last lesson, you know, what are some of the thoughts that I could give or present to a congregation? And this is what Paul did here with the Ephesian elders. He probably was thinking, you know, what can I, this is an opportune time. He, he was traveling, he was in a hurry to get to uh, Jerusalem uh, for the Passover, and yet he wanted to meet with the Ephesian elders. He had them come down about 50 kilometers um, I think that's about 31 miles or so. So it's a pretty good trip, uh, for, especially for back then. Uh, they didn't have the uh, uh, minivans and things like that. Um, so it took a little while for them to do, but it's an important meeting uh, that existed between Paul and these elders. And so he's wanting and he's thinking, he's going through his mind some of the things that he wanted to discuss. 
and, and talk about. But before we actually get to that aspect of the lesson, I just like the title that was given to me was stabilizing the mission of the church. And when you look at the mission of the church, we see in First Timothy um, chapter one verse fifteen. Paul writes there, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to seek and save those which are lost, of whom I am chief. So Paul is talking from a standpoint of a chief sinner. So when Paul looks at himself, he doesn't, in one sense of the term, he doesn't feel like he deserves the grace that was given to him, but he is very thankful for it, he has accepted it, and now he is showing the same grace, the same determination to snatch people from the snares of the devil that was given to him. And so he has the same passion uh, that was shown to him. But I'd like for us just, before we get to the actual discussion, I'd like for us just to take a moment and look at the conversion of Saul. You know, I, I just love that story. I don't like the, the person that he was, but when he gives the account of his conversion in Acts chapter 22, he talks about how he did all things with a good conscience. He did all things with a good conscience before God, and yet you look at uh, Acts chapter 8, and there he is holding the garment of Stephen. He is actually holding the garment of Stephen as Stephen is being stoned to death. And I don't know if he threw a stone or not, but I know he is holding the garment. I know he is consenting. I know he didn't have any troubles with that act actually occurring. And so that act takes place and Stephen's life is taken from him. But where does Stephen go? He went. Uh, the physical body stayed here. His spiritual body uh, went to be with God. So Stephen was in a much better place and the heavens opened and he even saw the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ sitting on the right hand of God. Beautiful story uh, on Stephen's part doesn't sound like it he's being stoned to death um, but his life was worthy of such that God's grace allowed him to go to heaven and so that's a beautiful story well what about Saul he continues we look at uh, the life of Saul in Acts chapter 9 he's on the gaze of road to Damascus but, but even before that he, he is going into every church he's entering into the homes of individual Christians and he is making havoc of the church he is literally dragging away women and children not a pretty picture, is it? And he's doing this all with a good conscience. He is very zealous towards God. He is raised under the feet of Gamaliel. And so he is dragging women and children away to prison. And he's on the gaze of the road to Damascus, and there a bright light shines, and he falls, and he's blinded. He can't see, and a voice comes out, and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting now me? And he says, well, who art thou, Lord? You know, he thought he was a servant, a zealous for the almighty creator in heaven. Uh, he didn't know that Jesus Christ was real, but now he's, he's real. And he's speaking to him, why are you kicking against the goats? And so there Jesus tells him to go to Damascus, and there it shall be told you what to do. So the, the conversion hasn't happened yet. He goes to, uh, he goes to uh, um, Damascus. There God appears to Ananias, and he says, Ananias, I want you to go to this man. What man? Saul of Tarsus. Are you talking about the Saul of Tar Tarsus who did this and who did that? Yes, that's the Saul of Tarsus that I want you to go to. And so oh, Ananias obeyed the word of the Lord. He goes to Ananias, or Ananias goes to Saul, and he says, Saul, Saul, why tarry us out? Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, washing away thy sins. 
that was the word of God speaking to Ananias uh, or to Saul. Uh, Ananias was simply the voice of the word of God. The word of God told Saul to arise and be baptized and be buried. That's what the word literally means. It was transliterated in 1611, but the actual word would be translated as immersion or, or buried. Uh, um, and in this case, he was buried in water. Uh, and so here we have this example of a conversion where Paul was told to rise, be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, washing away thy sins. And so Saul was obedient. If he hadn't been obedient, then his sins wouldn't have been washed away, but he was obedient. He listened to the words of God. I do want to make this one emphasis that the choices we make do affect the lives of other people. The choices that Saul made earlier in his life affected Christians in a very negative way. The choices he made after this point affected people in a very positive way. I know a story, I read a story, I was reading it when we had the elders retreat this past weekend, and I remember on the 21st, I don't know how many weekends ago that was, one or two, um, but nonetheless, it was about this preacher who, who, he wasn't a preacher, he was a young boy, and he's talking about his father, he became a Christian, and his father just fell away, and so the family fell away. So he influenced the family for negative. All of a sudden, the preacher decided, or, or the man decided, hey, I want to restore my life back to God. It's next week is a good time to do it. It's VBS. I'm going to restore my life. I'm going to start bringing my kids, and they never missed another Sunday since. His life, his decisions had like a domino effect and affected those lives of the members in his own family. And I think it's important for us to realize that the decisions that we make, or like Saul's, is going to affect the decisions uh, of the members of our own family. It can affect the people that we work with. It can affect uh, the people in our congregation. But the decisions, the actions, my thoughts, my actions, the way I live my life will have an impact, either negative or positive, for those I come into contact with. The rest of the story, if you want to hear um, um, Harvey's uh, uh, rest of the story, um, is that the result was one of the sons became a gospel preacher, one of the sons became a deacon, and I think there was another child, and I can't remember uh, the, the, the rest of it, but uh, I do know that one became a preacher and one became a deacon, uh, and they were all faithful in the members of the body of Christ. And so the decisions we make do have an effect on those that we come into contact with. So Saul recounts his um, conversion. He did all things with a good conscience. And so I think that's important to realize, too, that our conscience needs to be based upon the word of God. We're going to see that in the text that Sam read, that Paul's preaching, uh, Saul's name was changed to Paul. He became the apostle Paul, and his preaching was based upon the inspired word of God. And um, that is an important thing. But he goes back to our text, stabilizing the mission, Understanding the mission of Jesus Christ is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world seeking and saving the lost. Again, Paul refers to himself, of whom I am chief. He points to himself, and I can see that he continued probably daily in his life, and we'll see that um, as well, daily in his life that he continued um, to, to work tirelessly with tears and sweat and was persecuted and gave uh, uh, no thought to his own life, probably in part because of the way he treated Christians before he was converted. I'd like for us to look at this presentation that occurred between the Apostle Paul and 
these elders from Ephesus. But here we have the presentation as an example of Paul addressing an exclusive Christian audience. So here he is talking to Christian men concerning the church that exists over in Ephesus. And the speech is personable, on the or personal, the speech is admonitory and exhort exhortative. And, and excuse me, I usually work nights and sometimes I have a hard time with my speech during the day. <laughs> but nonetheless, we, we see Paul is very engaged in this conversation. And, and I, I can just feel his emotion. Uh, one who is, you know, I was able, and I'm sure he's been thinking of what can I say, what can I tell these men, and they're coming, and I have this speech ready. It's going to be my last speech, so they're never going to see me again. Paul has suffered many things, and he will continue to face persecution. And he tells them at the end of the chapter, at the end of the reading that Sam delivered to us, that you will see my face no more. You will not see my face. So I'd like for us, uh, topically, we might study this um, passage in three headings. First, we're going to look at Paul's character. Uh, secondly, we're going to look at his charge. And then we're going to look at his com uh, commendation. Uh, first of all, I'd just like for us to briefly um, look at Paul's character. Um, when we look at his character, uh, first of all, we see that Paul was a servant. And the passage that we read here in Acts chapter 20 that he was a humble servant. In verse 19, he served the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials. So he was a humble servant. He served with all humility. He says, from the very first day you met me, from the very first day I worked at the churches in Ephesus, you witnessed me serving with many tears and with many trials, persecutions that came my way. Paul possessed that lowliness of mind that thrust the interests of others before his own interests. The, the agape term for love is, is to put the needs of others before your own. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 also talks about uh, to consider the interests of others, to have that same mind as Christ. And I think uh, when we look at the Christian life, that's what it boils down to, is to become Christ-like, to become, you know, Paul says, be like me as I am of Christ. And if, the more we're like Paul, the more we're like Jesus Christ, the more we take on, you know, these attributes that Christ um, had while he was on the face of the earth, uh, while he's in heaven. And that's that love, justice, mercy, and the list just goes on and on, Hospi uh, hospitable, uh, um, caring, courageous, and so on. But these are the same minds uh, that Paul had. He was a humble servant. He had been a sympathetic servant. Oftentimes his heart, as we look at the text, um, went out to those who were entrenched in sin. He loved sinners. He didn't love the sin. He didn't like the activities that they were engaging in. But he wanted them to repent. You know, Peter talks about that. Uh, repent or you shall all likewise perish. You, you know, um, Christ said that. Um, Peter talks about that as well in his epistle um, Paul loved sinners. He wanted them to repent. He wanted them to come to know God. He wanted them to be obedient um, uh, um, to the will of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul wrote to the Corinthians with many tears. And so we see that Paul many times labored with tears and heartaches in his life concerning the brethren, whether they would be faithful or not. He informed the Philippian brethren in chapter 3 and verse 18 that when he thought about those who were enemies of the cross now, who were aforetime members of the body of Christ, he wept. 
And so he took pleasure in seeing lives being transformed through the word of God. So similarly, he has served the Lord amongst the Ephesian members with tears night and day. And we saw that in our text in verse 19 and also in verse 20. At Ephesus, Paul had been a persecuted servant of Christ. We just uh, noted that in verse 19, trials had been uh, uh, befallen him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and following, we won't take time to read that, but there's a list of the persecutions that Paul faced during his lifetimes. The the, uh, being beaten uh, stripes, 40 minus 1, 39 stripes, several times, being beaten with rod, being stoned, and left for dead, being shipwrecked, being uh, living amongst the thieves, uh, his life many times didn't know if he was going to live to see another day. His fastings, his hungerings, his thirstings, and the list goes on. It's not, you know, uh, Cliff talked about thank you for, for the safety that we're able to worship in. Paul did not worship in that same environment, and yet he he saw his life lost for the sake of Christ, and so he was blessed to, to, to serve the life that he had remaining the remaining days of his life for the cause of Christ. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the way Stephen saw it. He saw the heavens open. That's the way Paul sees it. He is ready to die. You know he, he said on one occasion it's better for me to live for your sakes but for me it's better to die and be with Christ. And so he understood the promises that God gave him. Paul knew more trials awaited him, and that's why it was so important for Paul to to see the elders from Ephesus one last time. At Ephesus, Paul had been an independent, self-supporting servant of of the Lord. So he didn't take from them uh, any financial support, but he worked um, night and day. Um, Acts chapter 18 talks about he made tents by nights, proclaiming the word by day. But also from his character standpoint, we see that Paul was a proclaimer. He was a proclaimer uh, and a lover of the Word of God. And the Word of God meant everything uh, to him. Uh, beginning on the day that he, he saw the Lord for the first time and he was told to go to Damascus. From the time that Ananias told him to rise and be baptized. From the time that revelations um, were given uh, to him through the inspired, uh, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that he was able to write down and write these books that we now have uh, copies of. So we see that he loved to proclaim the word of God. Again, there are a number of descriptions that detail the type of preacher that Paul was. Uh, First, um, and we can see this in in his character because his character was one who wanted to preach the uncorrupted word of God or the will of God. His substance of his message was spiritual. It wasn't social or secular. He wanted to proclaim the true God and his son, Jesus Christ. He announced in repentance, men should turn to God and in faith, submit to the Messiah there in verse 21. Uh, We also see that Paul testified concerning the news of God, the good news of God uh, there um, and the availability of the heaven's grace there in verse 24. And we see that he also talks about the means of obedience to the gospel and uh, in one of his epistles in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul, when his preaching was courageous, he, he preached and he taught uncompromising uh, in his um, preaching. He says, I shrank not from declaring unto you anything that was profitable, 
of that sin or text. I testify unto you this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Again from our text. And then he says, For I strength not, in verse 27, from declaring unto you the whole counsel of God. He didn't preach uh, just what he thought was necessary. He preached the whole counsel of God, that the, the will that God had him um, to uh, deliver to the people um, there that he came into contact with. Paul was a teacher, a preacher, and he did so publicly, and he also did so from house to house in verse 20. The apostle was also an unprejudiced preacher. He testified to both the Jews and the Greeks, for he knew the gospel was the power to save both. I like the passage. It's a, it's a passage that many of us know since childhood. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, Paul talks about, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And why would he be? You know, Christ died for him. Even a sinner like him, in his own mind, Christ even died for me. And if he died for me, he died for all men. Romans 3, 23 talks about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul, Christ died for me. So therefore, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed that Christ came and he lived his life on this earth for the sake of others, and he died the death of the cross, and that he was raised a new creature in Christ. Romans 6, he gives that parallel in his own life, or, or for the lives of Christians. There were Christians there in Romans 6 that were taking advantage of the grace of God. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. God forbid. But don't you know that as many of us were baptized into his death, and he goes on and he talks about being raised a new creature of Christ. We have to let go the man of, man of sin. We have to let go concerning our uh, pleasure desires. We need to raise our eyes before God and look towards our heavenly goal and not look upon our earthly goals that we may have um, our eyes upon, our temporary pleasures. One other passage before we move on. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Paul talks about pre someone preaching another gospel. He even says, but if I, or if we, one of the apostles, if we, or an angel even, preaches another gospel than that which was already preached, let him be accursed. If we preach another gospel than that which already was preached, let him be accursed. That's the importance that Paul put upon the inspired word of God. And finally, he was a confident preacher. He believed the promises of God. He believed that God uh, talked about his forgiveness of sins. He believed that there was a heavenly home that waited. And so therefore, um, he lived his life believing those promises were going to come um, back um, for him. So because of this end, he had been divinely appointed. What a spiritual um, spirit of self-sacrifice he lived. What a tranquility of soul to have that kind of confidence in the promises of Jesus Christ. Briefly, I know our time is about up, so I'm going to briefly look at the next two points. Um, secondly, we see the Paul's charge. We, we, we um, looked at Paul's character, both as a servant and both uh, as well as in his preaching. Secondly, we just want to um, look at Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders. And when you look here in this chapter, you see uh, uh, an organization of the church that existed in New Testament times, that each congregation was autonomous. And over each congregation, you had elders, deacons, and teachers, and preachers, and, and the members, and they were all involved in the work of the Lord in that particular place. And so that's what we see here in Acts chapter 20. We have three words that are used uh, um, interchangeably. Uh, presbyteros, episkopos, and poimen. Uh, uh, um, 
means elder, overseer, and shepherd. And we see these three being used there in verse 17 and verse 28. We see these three um, terms being used interchangeably. I'm going to use the word elder as we go on and talk about briefly um, the charge that Paul gives to these elders. They were to take heed to themselves. I think that's so important for leaders in a congregation, no matter, or leaders in a family, or, or you know, this can apply to so many of us as teachers, um, uh, teachers in the home, and so on, that we need to first examine our own lives and get our lives right before God. The elders were to take heed to themselves. They were to do a self-analysis, um, which is a necessity for a faithful child of God, and surely such um, is to be underscored uh, for leaders of the Lord's family. Scriptures are filled with exhortations to examine ourselves and just briefly mention some of those um, before we go on to the next point. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, teach yourselves, uh, self. Romans 2, 21 says, so uh, um, teach yourself, examine yourself as 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Um, there Paul writes, to study to show thyself approved unto God. Uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we can go on to many other passages uh, like that. The elders were to take heed also in verse 28 to the flock. So not only were they to look out after themselves, they were to look out after the flock, the members of the body of Christ there in verse 28. A shepherd, shepherd needs to pay attention to himself, to his own spiritual life. A shepherd needs to pay attention to the individual members of the body of Christ. Uh, uh, and, uh, and to work with one another to, to uh, help um, each other in our journey to live throughout eternity with God. And of course this implies that elders need to be sound in the faith, uh, that they should not be selected on the basis of their success in businesses or finances, etc., but rather than their spiritual uh, qualifications um, that can be found um, there in the word of God and finally Paul emphasized as he was talking about there he emphasized the need um, taking heed to the flock also involves helping those who are weak I did like to um, talk about just one other brief point um, and that is the value of the flock that the elders are to give charge over and that we are to also um, look out for one another. And, and that has to do with the value. You know, um, he says there in verse 28, we'll just go ahead and take time to read it um, before we bring, uh, look at the last verse and then bring the lesson to a close. Um, in verse 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit has done that by giving qualifications found in Timothy and Titus, um, but he, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And Jesus does a lot of talking about the value of one soul. If a man gains the whole world and he loses his own soul, what does it profit him? It, it profits him nothing. James also talks about the, you know, life is like a vapor is here, it vanishes away. So life is gone. What does it profit if you gain the whole world? You're going to die and you're going to be there in judgment. It profits you nothing. Jesus talks about how many of you, if you had 10 coins, he talk, you know, again, talking about the value of one soul, if you had 10 coins and you lose one, what are you going to do? Oh, I, I still got nine. I still got eight. I still got seven. 
that's not logical. Jesus said you, you would have the nine coins, but you still would search the house all over to find the one missing coin. And the same thing with the shepherd. If he had 100 sheep and one is missing, the value of that one sheep, what are you going to do? You're going to leave the 99 and you're going to go find the one and bring that uh, one back. So he's trying to emphasize here the value of the flock in which you are shepherding. Um, each member is so, so important. Those who are weak in the face must be encouraged. The strong ought to help uh, bear their infirmities and not to please themselves. Paul states that in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, and 15, chapter um, 15 and verse 1. And finally, Paul uh, concludes in commendation. He makes two commendations. Uh, the first one there in verse 32, he says, I commend you to, to God. I commend you to God. And so it's a twofold thrust here. First, he's talking about, um, um, it stresses Jehovah's part and man's part. So I commend you to God. That means he commends them to the care and the keeping of their heavenly father. There is no father more loving than the heavenly father. And if you're committed to his care and you're faithful to him, nothing can separate you from the, from the uh, love of God. And that's why I love uh, Romans chapter 8 so well, because it's first it talks about there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in verse 1. In verse 8, it talks about that Paul says the sufferings, and Paul understands this, the sufferings of this present world are unworthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed unto us. And then finally, he concludes chapter 8 by saying, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's what Paul is doing here. I commend you um, to God. God is a loving, but man has to do his part. We have to help one another do our part, and that is bringing Christians to ultimate spiritual maturity. Because secondly, Paul says, commends the brother to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and provide inheritance among the sanctified, that the word of his grace will never avail um, without you taking it into heart and translating it into daily actions. We become more and more like Christ. I had a few more uh, comments, but I'm going to save them for another time. I do appreciate your attention very much this morning. Um, we do uh, see Paul's um, character uh, in both the way he lived his life and his preaching. We see his tar charge, take heed unto yourself, to the church, the valuableness of the church. We see his concluding common, uh, commendation. Uh, one of the things that I like for us just to think about is just that this life is like a vapor, that your choices does affect yourself, but it also affects others, and that our perspectives should be from an eternal perspective, standpoint, uh, not from a daily, not from a physical, not from a thrill that I can get today or thrill or, uh, that I can get tomorrow, but long-term, and that long-term is now my relationship with God that I can have today, now, with that peace of mind through obedience of the will of God, or and also translate into eternity, that once this life is over, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, I don't know uh, when my life is going to end, but it will go on throughout eternity. And so I want to be right with God, and I pray. And that's the last thing that Paul did with the brethren. He prayed with them. They knew they were going to see no more. He went down to his knees, prayed with them. They kissed and, and wept with each other. Uh, very touching scene uh, here. Um, and he had a genuine concern for their well-being. And so we want to have that same 
concern for one another and we want to make our lives right with God. If you're here this morning and your life is not right with God, we encourage you to come. If you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come and uh, be obedient to the gospel of Christ. Be buried with Christ and be raised a new creature where you are transformed, where you are diligently striving to walk the life that Christ would have you to walk. If you're here and you're a Christian and need to repent or you need encouragement, we encourage you to come. Take advantage of this opportunity as we stand together and as we sing. Have I no 